right, well, good, uh, good morning to you all. Once again, it's good to, to see you all here again this morning. Amen. <coughs> again, we're going to continue on in our study of the book of Genesis. This time in uh, chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 7 and read down through verse 21. So when you find uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, would you please stand for reading God's word? Okay, Genesis chapter 15, beginning of verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you this morning for bringing us here together and pray again for your enabling power. Uh, Enable us to see what you have for us here this morning. Enable us to understand your word and rightly apply it. Father, we know that uh, these things were written in part for our sake so that we may know about you, so that we may understand how you work how faithful you are and how we should trust you. We pray that that will be the result today of this reading and of this study. Lord, that our trust in you may grow and that if there's anyone in this room today who does not truly know you, that they may put their trust in you today And begin a new life of walking with You, trusting You, believing Your Word, looking forward to the fulfillment of Your promises to Your people. May it all be so, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Be seated. One quick word of uh, correction here. Uh, on something, uh, it's it's kind of a. It may sound like I'm being a bit technical here, but I, but I since I said it, I need to correct it. Um, back in um, verse one, chapter fifteen, verse one, 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. And then again in verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And what I did last week was tie that concept, and without going through it again, if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. But what I did was tie that that, uh, concept, the word of the Lord came to him, to John 1.1. And so I just wanted to be clear this morning and correct myself that um, the the word the actual word that John uses in John one one, and the word used or actually it's two words used here in the Greek translation of the Old Testament are not the same word. Um, they're, they're synonyms, um, but I would still say if you remember what all we talked about last week, um, I was talking about when when John said in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When he, when he talked about the Word, what would happen in the Jewish mind was their thinking would go to passages like this. The Word came to Abraham. The Word of the Lord came to Abraham. Or the Word of the Lord came to Isaiah or Jeremiah or whoever it was. And I, I'm, I'm still saying that because these are, these are synonyms used here. That's still the same concept. The Word of the Lord came to Abram. So when John said the Word, the Lagos, became flesh and dwelt among us, I think that... Um, in their mind, that's how they would have understood it. It's like the very spoken expression or idea, expression of God came in the form of Jesus Christ. And the same word is used um, numerous times, mainly in the prophets, in, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Malachi. When you see that phrase, the word of the Lord came to, it's usually the word logos, which John uses in John 1.1. But here, it's synonyms um, that the translators use to translate Moses' writing. All right, so I just wanted to, to, uh, to mention that um, and correct myself there. Or as the, you know, the politicians say, I misspoke. Um, that's you know, better than saying I was wrong. <laughs> But, uh, but anyway, the concept is still the same. Um, so, in our text today, and, and I want us to have this in mind, you know, what we did in 1 through 6 last week, verses 1 through 6, in talking about that, um, God speaking to Moses, and then verse 6, uh, I'm sorry, God speaking to Abram, and then in verse 6, Abram trusting God. And he believed the Lord. I, I want us to have that in our minds this morning as, as part of our discussion here because it's important because we're, we're continuing in that same vein. God speaks and Abram believed or trusted. God, the word of the Lord came to him. Again, verse 1 and verse 4. And God is communicating things. And, and, and of course, he's... Questions are arising in Abram's mind. I mean, that's what the issue was here. Abram had this concern. Lord, what are you going to give me since I don't, I don't have any offspring? Because back in chapter 12, God had made the promise that I'm going to give this land to your seed, to your offspring. And your seed is going to be innumerable. And Abram is an old man and Sarah is an old woman and they don't even have a child, a biological child. And so Abram is... Um, And as I mentioned last week, I don't think this is a case of doubting God. I think it's just a case of wondering, Lord, how are you going to do this? Because 
I haven't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a child. And so the only heir that I have is this servant of mine, uh, Eleazar of Damascus. And so the Lord graciously reiterates his, his promise and reassures Abram. And he comes to him speaking to him. The word of the Lord came to him and says, for example, in verse 4, This man, that is your servant, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he takes him out in verse 5. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So God is, is reiterating. He's reassuring Abram. Look, I said you're going to have seed. You're going to have offspring. And I'm telling you again, your heir is not going to be your servant. Your heir is going to be your very seed, your offspring. Look, look at the stars in the heaven. That's, if, if you could count them, that's the way that it, it's going to be with your offspring, innumerable. Of course, the implication is you can't count them, and that's how your offspring is going to be, innumerable. And then verse 6 astoundingly says, and he believed the Lord, that is, Abram took God at his word at this point. He trusted God. God says, I'm, I'm, I, I, we're going to see in a moment. I brought you out of, out of Ur and I brought you into this land to give it to you. And, I, and your seed is going to inherit this land, your offspring. And Abram is scratching his, his head. And I don't have any offspring. How is this going to happen? And so God is reassuring him, my promises are good. <laughs> and I, I wasn't using code. <laughs> I wasn't using some kind of symbolism or something. It's going to be real. See, this, this servant, of this Damascus servant of yours shall not be your heir. It'll be your very own offspring. And so then Abram believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now let me just say this. I've, I've kind of been back and forth in my mind about whether to do a whole sermon on justification by faith alone. Because when, when Paul talks about justification by faith alone in Romans 4 and in Galatians 3, he roots it in verse 6 right here. All right? So um, we could easily do that. But what I have done the past couple weeks and continuing to do this morning, rather than do that, I'm just, I'm just trying to keep us in the context of Genesis and uh, not that there would be anything wrong with doing that, but, I, but I've just been trying to keep us in the context of Genesis and, and just try to highlight what's going on here and mention the, uh, the greater implications or the, or the far-reaching implications. I've been trying to mention them, but not really go into uh, a whole sermon about them, for example. So let me mention it again here. Um, what is happening here is that Abraham is being or was justified by means of faith. Now, let me just try to avoid all of our jargon there, which is uh, not that it's wrong. It's not wrong, but, but just, just, just trying to bring it down to a, a, a really um, understandable way of saying it in common everyday language, instead of saying justified by faith alone through Christ alone. It, what's happening here is Abraham is being put into right 
relationship with God by trusting God. In other words, that's the means. Now, don't, don't think of it this way. Don't think, okay, Abraham at this point, because he had such great faith, because he trusted God so well, Abraham was counted righteous as though he achieved something. I mean, it's easy to make faith or trust, it's easy to make it a work. Something you do, something you muster up. But it's actually just the opposite. I mean, that, because that would actually negate it. Trust is to not rely on something you did, but to rely on, in this case, God. When it says Abraham believed God, I mean, that's the whole idea, that he, he's not producing something. He's relying on God. So it's not that um, his great faith is the cause of his being put in right relationship, his justification, his being put in right relationship. No, it's not the cause. It's the means through which he comes into right relationship with God. So, um, because faith itself, in other words, to trust God, that's a, that's a gift. That's a gift from God. God gives it. So it's the means through which God puts us right with Himself. We trust Him. So God gives His Word, and Abram trusted God, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness, meaning He's put in right relationship to God. Not by something He achieved, but just by simply trusting God. Okay? So that's where we're at. And then verse 7, there, there are still questions going on in Abraham, Abram's mind. And, and, um, and again, just to be clear, if you hear me say Abram, Abraham, we're talking about the same person. Later his name will be changed to Abraham. Um, but here it's still Abram. But um, there's still questions going on in Abram's mind. And uh, he's wondering how all this is going to work out. And so, uh, we'll see that in a moment. The Lord continues to speak and says in verse 7, He said to him, that is, the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So, we're told twice, verse 1 and verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him and then... He speaks. Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able. So shall your offspring be. And then verse 7, He speaks again. I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now remember, in all of this, what God is doing is shoring Abraham up, right? I mean, He is, he is um, reiterating the promises. He is confirming assuring Abram. So he says, it's almost like he says, look, remember this, Abram. Remember this? I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I am the Lord. And he uses his proper name there, Yahweh. It's, it's me you're talking about, Abram. You're wondering how this is going to get done. Let me just remind you, I'm the sovereign of the universe. I created all things. All things belong to me. 
All things are sustained by my power. I am the one true living God, Yahweh. It's me that you're talking to. It's me that you're you're wondering about. The Lord. Not only that, but I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur the Chaldeans. Remember that, Abram? The one that rescued you from idolatry? You were an idolater in an idolatrous land. And I'm the, the living God who had the power to change you, deliver you from idolatry, call you out of a pagan land, And not just for no reason, but with purpose. I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So he said, I brought you out so that I could bring you in. Now, he says that to the children of Israel later in, in, De- in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses reminds the children of Israel, The Lord brought you out in order to bring you in. He didn't just bring you out of Egypt to let you wander in the wilderness. I mean, if there was a time for wandering in the wilderness, that was part of what had to happen, what had to take place. And God led them through the wilderness, cloud by day, fire by night, right? He led them through. Forty years they spent there. That wasn't the ultimate purpose, was it? He brought them out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. So when they stood at the gates of the promised land before having to fight many battles uh, going in, when they stood at the, at the threshold, at the border of the promised land, Moses reminded them, the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand so that He could bring you in to the land to possess it. He brought you out with purpose. And God is reminding Abram of these things. I'm the Lord, the living God, the true God, who delivered you from idolatry to give you an inheritance. To to pull you out of vanity to bless you abundantly. And Abram says in verse 8, and again, I don't think this is expressing uh, doubt. And the reason I keep saying that is because of the way the Lord responds. When there is doubt, like when Zacharias was um, told that Elizabeth would have a child and he questioned the, uh, <laughs> the angelic messenger there, um, he was stricken with m- muteness, you know, unable to speak. Until the child was born, and and of course the uh, you could tell the 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 anger of the angel, you know, because he was questioning God. On the other hand, when Mary was told that she would have a child conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she said something very similar to what Zacharias said, she said, "How can these things be?" Th- there was no anger, and there the response was just grace. And it's obviously because in Zacharias' case, he was doubting God. And in Mary's case, she wasn't doubting God, but she was not understanding how... It's, it's like, it's like you, you tell somebody about a miracle, and they say, how can this be? How can it be? And I think that's what we have here. 
So Abram's, you know, how can this be? How can I know? This time it's how, how am I to know? Verse 8, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He's looking for some kind of sign or something like that, you know, some, some kind of assurance, some kind of guarantee. Take this, and that way you know you'll possess it. I mean, you sign a, sign a contract on a house, and you've got written signatures there and maybe a, a notary's seal and you put the down payment, and you've got some assurance, some guarantee. You've got all that paperwork showing you're going to take possession of the house. Whoever got the down payment, that's a guarantee for them that they're going to get the rest of the money that they're asking for the house. So there's a transaction there, and there's a guarantee. And Abram says, how do I know? He's looking for something so that he can know that all of this is going to come to pass. How, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now, when you, when you read these following verses, as Joel did a moment ago, and, you, and God, it looks like God doesn't answer. I mean, He says, look, go, He gives Him things to do. Go get the animals, prepare for a sacrifice. And then um, cuts a covenant with Abraham, which is extremely important. But in all of that, and this is what I'm submitting to you today, in all of that, God is answering. And there are ways to know. There are ways to know that the inheritance is a sure thing. And we'll come back to this in a moment, but just to plant some seed for thought here, we are promised an inheritance. How do we know? that we're going to get that inheritance. It, is there anything that we can look at or, you know, hold on to, rely on and say, this assures me that one day I'll possess it. So that's the question. How am I to know? And, and let me just for a minute here jump back. We'll come back through a little bit of this. But jump down to verse 13. And notice what the Lord says when He speaks. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain. So remember that. Whatever the Lord's going to do here, it is, so, it is for the purpose that Abram would know. Right? Because that's what Abram said. How do I know? And the Lord says, Know for certain. X, Y, Z. You know, whatever it is He's going he's to do or say, Know for certain. So, the question in verse 8, how am I to know? And then God gives these instructions in verse 9. Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these. That is, Abram brought them to the Lord, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now, all this may sound a bit strange to us, but, it, but it's an ancient uh, ritual um, uh, that, w- that was commonly used, really, uh, to... to uh, I used, a minute ago, I used the analogy of a contract. That's kind of what's similar to what's taking place here. What's happening is a, is a, a, a covenant is being entered into. And what they would do is, in, in the uh, ancient um, world, was split 
animals like just like what's described here, lay the halves hop opposite each other, and then the two parties joining together in covenant would pass between the pieces. And it was a sign of the covenant relationship that they were entering into. And there was also uh, the implication that um, if someone broke the contract, if someone didn't live up to the covenant, you know, one of the two parties or both of the two parties that walked between the pieces and then did not live up to the covenant, um, they would be cursed. Jeremiah 34, I think it's verses 18 and 19, he, he mentions that um, as taking place. Uh, the Lord prophesies a curse against those who have broken covenant. So, um, it's an ancient ritual. You know, it's obviously something we don't do, so it's a little strange to us, but that's what's happening here. And here's the, the big thing that, you know, I just want us to get in, in terms of this. God is establishing a special relationship with Abram. And as odd as, you know, chopping animals in half and laying them out and walking between them, as odd as that may sound to us in the 21st century, the main point is that uh, the symbolism, that it, that it ref- what it reflects in the symbolism, um, and that is that God is entering into covenant relationship with Abram. In fact, um, verse 18, I would say, is, is uh, critical here because... Uh, there are different opinions and different interpretations on what exactly uh, the animals signify, what exactly the fire pot um, uh, and the flaming torch signify and so forth. And those things are unclear to us because we're removed from this culture, right, by a great span of time. And so this is one of those places where... Um, as we always should do with Scripture. Um, you take things like that, and, and, and we understand as much as we can understand, but the things that are presented to us clearly, that's what we can really hold on to um, and know um, that that's what the Scripture is telling us. So, verse 18, for example, says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So that's what's happening here with this, with this ritual, with this sacrifice. And, and some of the things that it points to, and I'll give you a couple here, but uh, are obvious, and then some things are not, as far as what he, everything represents, are not so obvious to me. Um, uh, just for example, one idea is that the, 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 the animal pieces um, foreshadow the nation of Israel and the fire pot and the smoking torch passing through there between them um, represents God's presence among His people. And I would just say that sounds good and it's a possibility. <laughs> but we don't know that for certain. I, I, I think certainly the fire pot uh, and the smoking, uh, the smoking fire pot and the torch um, certainly represent God, I think. And, uh, I'll come back to that in a second. But um, 
Just getting into the details of it is, is tough to, to decipher. But here's what's clear, verse 18. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. What's a covenant? A special relationship. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He called him out for a purpose, that is to give him an inheritance. And now he's um, confirming all of that, ratifying that, establishing that fact by entering into a special relationship, which God has already been establishing, but you know He's doing it now in ceremonial form to, to assure Abram that what he has promised will come to pass. Now, Abram asked this question. Let's go back to this. How am I to know I shall possess it? Remember, um, the covenant involves Abraham's seed, right, and the land. And God promised that Abraham's seed, his offspring, would be innumerable and that they will possess this land, the land of Canaan. The land is their inheritance. And so Abraham is saying, how do I know that this is going to happen? How do I know that this will come to pass? Well, first off, God has given His Word. And that's the significance when we see these phrases like the word of the Lord came to Abram or God said, and then you get a description. God said. Look at, look at the stars. Number them if you can. This is how your seed will be. Or about Abram's offspring. He says, you know, this, this, this man shall not be your heir. But, one, but your very own son shall be your heir. And your, your seed shall be innumerable. In fact, let me tell you what's going to happen, Abram. And I'm getting back to verse 13 here. Know for certain that your seed, your offspring, will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants. Will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. It's prophecy, right? This is fulfilled later. When the Jews are taken into captivity uh, into uh, Egypt, um, they are slaves in Egypt for some 400 years. And then God brings them out. Remember the whole story? Brings plagues upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh with a mighty show of strength. God brings them out of Egypt. So verse 14 says, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. In other words, you'll be long dead and gone by then, Abram. <laughs> your seed's going to inherit the land. You'll be, you'll be gone. But you're going to go to the grave in peace. They're going to suffer, but I'm going to deliver them mightily and with great possessions. And then what does he say? I will bring, uh, I will bring judgment on that nation. They shall ser uh, serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions you shall go to your fathers in peace and shall be buried in a good old age. In verse 16, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. So when he says, know for certain, know for certain these things. How do I know, Lord? Because I'm telling you. In other words, he's got God's Word. He has God's promise. God gave His Word. And he says, know this for certain. Know what for certain? What I'm telling you, what I'm saying, the information that I'm giving you. Your seed will be innumerable. 
And yes, they're going to a land and be in bondage, and I'm going to deliver them, bring judgment on that land, and I'm going to bring your offspring back here in the fourth generation. Interestingly, in Acts 7, Stephen, in his sermon, says that God, he's quoting from here, and he says God would bring them back into the land to worship him. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God's got a timing. And, and you know, and by the way, it, receiving the inheritance seems to coincide or go uh, simultane- you know, happen simultaneously with judgment. I mean, that seems to be a pattern in the Scripture. God brings judgment on Egypt, delivers Israel. God brings judgment on Babylon, delivers Israel. God judges Satan, Christ rises from the dead in victory. God brings judgment on the world, the saints go to glory. I mean, it's inheritance, judgment, hand in hand, like two sides of the same coin. And what God is saying is, your seed are going to possess the land, but... The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The, you know, the people who are dwelling in the land now, I've got a set time, a set amount of wickedness that I'm going to put up with from them, and then I'm going to bring judgment on them, and your people, your seed, are going to possess the land. And on that day, oh, I'm sorry, verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. That is, the pieces of the animals that Abraham had set up according to the Lord's instructions. And a... I mean, you just got to kind of visualize this. We're not given a lot of explanation. But a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed through these pieces. Now, I said earlier, that's usually what the two parties who were... Coming in covenant together, that's what they would do. They would walk through together. In this place, in, in this time, it's, a, it's a, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, which I do think represent the presence of God. But notice this. Even though he's cutting a covenant with Abraham, and, we're, and again, we're told that explicitly in verse 18, so we know that much is happening. Even though he's cutting a covenant with Abraham, he does not instruct Abraham to walk through the pieces. So this is what we would call a unilateral covenant. That is, God is making promises and holding himself accountable to assure Abram that he's going to fulfill the promises that he's making. But the fulfillment, the keeping of the covenant and the fulfillment is not going to be up to Abram. It's going to be up to God. It's all His doing. That is the gospel in a nutshell. Grace. God providing. Now, let me just say this before we close here. What is the inheritance that we as Christians are promised. If we're going to look at the life of Abraham and try to learn from it, if we're going to look at this text. God makes promises to Abram. Abram trusts God. God gives His Word. 
God establishes His special relationship with Abraham through covenant. And by the way, this is a sacrifice-based covenant. So God gives His Word and sacrifice. Abram says, how do I know? Here's how you know. I'm giving you my Word and, 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 I'm, and I'm making this sacrifice as a sign that my Word is good. And we're establishing this covenant relationship to strengthen your trust so that you know that my word is good because I'm locked in with you now. Locked into covenant. And by the way, that's what marriage is. It's a covenant relationship. So as Christians, what are we promised? What is our inheritance? And there's ways we could think about it. I want to zero in on a couple things here. Um, the words of Jesus in Matthew 19, 29. When, when Peter asked Jesus, he says, Lord, we've left everything. And what, it's kind of, it sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? But we've left everything, Lord. What do we get? And Jesus says in Matthew 19, 29, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. So what is the inheritance that we are promised as followers of Jesus Christ? It is to know Him forever, to be in His presence forever. Ever to be united to Him forever. It is eternal life. In John seventeen three, Jesus says, "This is eternal life, that they may know You, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent." And Jesus says, "That's what we inherit: eternal life." So it's it's the knowledge of God, not just to know that there is a God, or just to know that God exists but to know God. To know Him intimately. Special relationship. To be in covenant with Him. And death will never part us. God has entered covenant with His people. How did He do that? Same way He did it with Abram. He gave His Word... And isn't that just what John is saying that we were talking about last week? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why did he do that, John? Well, because God loved the world in that way. That He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him, whoever trusts in Him, right, like Abram. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Whoever trusts in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave His Word. And it's a covenant between God and His people, those who follow Jesus Christ, based on 
sacrifice. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There has to be death. And so, when you see a passage like this in the Old Testament, you, it, that is confirmed, isn't it? I mean, God establishes covenant with Abram, but there's got to be death. So animals died. They're sacrificed. But there, that involves symbolism. And they really, the blood of those animals didn't really take away sin. The death of those animals didn't really take away sin. But the writer of Hebrews and the rest of the New Testament tells us that the death of Christ does. In fact, even the Old Testament tells us that. You read Isaiah 53. The death of Christ does. And so God establishes a special relationship, a covenant with promise of inheritance, eternal life, the knowledge of God, the one true living God, the Lord who brought us out. He brought us out of darkness, brought us out of death to bring us in, to bring us into relationship with Jesus Christ so that we would be in right standing with God through trusting Jesus Christ. And it's a covenant that is based on a sacrifice made. And that sacrifice is Christ Himself who laid down His life for us so that all who will put their trust in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Or can I paraphrase that a little bit? Receive the inheritance. All who trust Him are put into right relationship with God and are assured that we will receive the promised inheritance. God assured Abram through word and sacrifice. And God has given us assurance as well through word and sacrifice. He gave His word. Jesus, who came and was sacrificed for us, who are in special relationship with Him. Would you stand, please? Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, again, we thank You for these truths that we've been able to consider today. And I pray, Lord, that that won't stop. Enable us to continue thinking on these things, thinking on Your grace in providing salvation for us and calling us out of idolatry and into relationship with You, the one true living God. Providing all that was necessary to do that because we have nothing to bring to the table except that which condemns us. Only You provide that which rescues us, sets us free. So Lord, enable us to think about these things. Consider Your great display of mercy and not take it for granted. 
give you the glory and praise and honor that you are due for it and enable us, empower us to be faithful to tell others that they too may know the way of salvation. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Dismissed.